This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We have something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm one half your host, Justin Williams, and today I'm accompanied by the man, the myth, the legend, the one who runs the background, the ones who makes me sound so good. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Colbert Durant. Kobe? Hey, buddy. Don't worry. You got that natural sound, so there isn't much work on my part, but good to, <laughs> good to be here, and I'm looking forward to this interview. Oh, so am I. Now, here's the thing. Usually when I text somebody, I always say, hey, what's up, Big Sexy? How you doing? But this time, <laughs> this gentleman actually goes by Big Sexy. So I feel like I have to pay him a bit of a royalty every time I say it now. Ladies and gentlemen, we have today one of the coolest MMA fighters on the face of this planet. He has an awesome accent. His fists are powerful. And he fights for Bellator. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Billy Big Sexy Swanson. Billy, how you doing? doing good guys how are y'all doing oh living the dream so if you guys don't mind i kind of want to kick off this interview a little bit billy how did you get into fighting uh well man so there's multiple things that have kind of led me into fighting but uh i grew up wrestling in saudi daisy i was a state champion wrestler um went to college wrestled for a year and i came back and i was coaching wrestling and ironically i was telling the story the other day in my gym but uh i I actually got jumped my 20th birthday and uh i was jumped by like eight guys and so they didn't fuck me up bad or anything but it showed me like even though i was highly trained in wrestling and wrestling you know to dominate one person it wouldn't help me fight multiple people so it got me interested in uh striking and jujitsu and uh, I was horribly out of shape and I hate I absolutely hate to run <laughs> so like I, I literally I was like 340 pounds and just wanted to lose some weight and learn how to defend myself better so I started training at this gym in uh, Dayton MMA Institute of Dayton is what it was called and uh, I wound up being the best wrestler at the gym and it was Halloween of 2016 I went and I was helping coach at some fights and uh, saw some amateur heavyweights, man. And I was like, dude, honestly, I think I could beat the shit out of both of these guys. <laughs> and so I told my coach that night, I was like, sign me up. And uh, two months later, I fought against the guy in his hometown who had 15 amateur fights, outweighed me by like 40 pounds. Uh, I ended up beating him by unanimous decision. But like since then, I've, I've just kind of ran with it. And now I've had 16 fights. Damn, that's 
I mean, it always sucks to get jumped, especially on your birthday. So it's like, happy birthday to you, stab. But uh, I'm glad to see you're doing well and you took that kind of tough road and you made it into a glorious life lesson. Uh, so when it comes to your fights and, and prepping for it, do you have to cut a lot of weight or do you cut weight at all for it? Uh, well, man, it depends on how short of notice I get to fight. So I, I typically, if I'm injury free and healthy, I try to walk around close to on weight. If not, you know, maybe cut five to 10 pounds. Um, there has been times where I've been injured and I've had to cut like drastic amounts of weight. Like, uh, before my pro debut, I just got really out of shape and I ended up cutting 55 pounds in 10 weeks. Jesus. Oh my God. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I grew up wrestling, so I know how to manipulate my weight very well. And uh, right. me being a bigger guy, you know, it's a little bit easier to do than somebody who's 120 pounds. Right. But um, no, like ideally I try and walk around in shape. Um, me owning my own gym now, so it, uh, it kind of keeps me more on track. Like uh, when it was just me training and competing, you know, there would be times when I wouldn't have shit booked where I'd be out of the gym and, you know, get out of shape, eating unhealthy and stuff like that. And uh, now that I own my own gym, I'm, I'm in here teaching classes and training every day. So it just kind of keeps me on track and keeps me keeping my head in the game. So do you think you would ever cut to light heavyweight or are you going to stay at heavyweight? Uh, you know, man, honestly, I don't know. It just depends. Uh, like, honestly, I, I know my body carries the weight very well for me to be my size. Um, it just, like I said, it just depends on how I lean out over the years. Like, if I ever get down to the lower 230s, then, yeah, I'd probably cut to 205. But uh, ideally, you know, cutting 65 pounds, you know, cutting cutting any weight to get to 265 is more or less me just really getting in really good shape. To get to 205, I'm going to have to cut muscle off and stuff like that. So it just makes the weight cut a lot more drastic. Plus, I've not weighed under 220 pounds since I was 16. Oh, my. So, <laughs> you know, like there's there's chance that I may not even be able to get back that lot. Uh, that's fair. I got to go back to when you got jumped. Did you get jumped in, in Saudi Daisy? Uh, no, man. So I went to this rave. It, uh, it's a place in Lafayette, Georgia called Cherokee Farms. And so like long story short, a bunch of shit happened. And, uh, like me and this guy started fighting and, um, there was this truck behind him and I ran him into the truck by his throat. And then like I did what's called like a head throw, threw him on the ground, hit him a few times. And then I was choking him in like an arm triangle. And as soon as we hit the ground, like seven of his buddies came running up and started like kicking me in the back of the head, punching me, all sorts of shit. And, uh, what's funny is as soon as like they broke us up, like I stood up and I started talking shit to him again. I was like, why don't you pussies line up in a line? I'll fight you motherfuckers one at a time. <laughs> and, uh, like, none of them, you know, they weren't about it. But, uh, I mean, it just taught me, man, like, like wrestling, like, you know, not, not that I'm big on going out and finding trouble because, you know, it's like the saying, you go out looking for trouble, it'll find you. Um, but I, 
that's something about me, man. People always love to start shit with me and start fights with me. And uh, so I've ironically been in a lot of street fights. And uh, like I, like, like I said, that, that lesson alone taught me that, you know, in, in competition, it's fine. Like I could take one person down, not have to worry about somebody running up and hit me, but in a survival or self-defense manner, you have to be more aware of your surroundings because you never know about that friend that comes running from 20 foot back and then kicks you in the damn face as soon as you're on the ground. Yeah, no, understandable. Uh, I don't know if you're a, a football fan or not, but are you a Volunteers fan? Uh, so I was born in Alabama. I'm a, I'm a Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Oh, uh, okay. I've grown up in Tennessee my whole life. And so I, I root for the balls. I definitely, I, I would like to see them have some better years than what they've been having. That's for sure. Yeah. No, no problem with the Crimson Tide though. That's for sure. Now <laughs> I got to ask you, cause I, I can't get over this name, man. What, what is Saudi Daisy like? Uh, Saudi Daisy, man. So it's, it's a small town. Um, but, uh, like everybody knows everybody. Like, um, like I, I was blessed, man. So like people always ask me why I got the property of Saudi Daisy tattoo on my chest. And they're like, Oh man, it's like they own you. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not. You got to understand the meaning behind it. It's my body. So I don't give a shit what you think about it. But, <laughs> uh, like the whole reason I got that tattoo, man, is I, I had a troubled childhood at times and, you know, not to go into dirty details put air any dirty laundry out there but you know like uh if it wasn't for certain people in the community like i probably wouldn't be where i am like if it wasn't for saudi daisy wrestling in particular like i literally i'd probably be in jail and um because before i got into wrestling man I i didn't have a good control over my temper i didn't i didn't have an understanding of if i worked for something that it'll prosper and like uh you know by building that mentality and winning a state championship. Cause when I first started wrestling, man, I was one of the shittiest guys on the team. And like, that's, that's what's funny is like my whole life has just been an epitome of somebody telling me I couldn't do something that pisses me off. And I get a chip on my shoulder and I work and I work and I work and I work and then I'm there. And so like, like I said, f- fighting in general, um, and Saudi Daisy, like it, it's a good community. Like, uh, and I mean, we're, as you can tell by the name, we're a little bit redneck. So, I mean, it, it fits me very well. <laughs> now your gym, is it a wrestling gym or is it MMA? Oh, uh, it's MMA, man. I, uh, we show a, a wide variety of everything. Like, um, we've got some boxing classes, kickboxing classes, Muay Thai, uh, gi and no gi, jujitsu, uh, wrestling, MMA, grappling, like, um, it's kind of like your one-stop shop for either self-defense or if you're looking to compete, like to help well-round you. Like um, one thing that I, I noticed in my time of training and gaining my knowledge, there's a lot of gyms that, that they can't really well-round you. And like that's that's one thing that I'm, I, I'm trying to do and I preach here to my athletes is, uh, you know, like you want to be, like, like Bruce Lee said, you want to have fluidity be like water, uh, whatever you put water into, it becomes. So like whatever situation you wind up in, in a fight, you want to be comfortable. With. So whether that's you throwing hands, the kicks come involved, the takedowns become present, or if you wind up on the back of your head, you want to be comfortable there and know how to adapt and survive the situation. 
Oh, nice, man. Not too many rednecks quote Bruce Lee. I'll give you that one. <laughs> Justin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this whole podcast is full of surprises. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Sorry. So I, I do have a few questions again. Uh, number one, how did you get the nickname Big Sexy? How did that come to be? Uh, all right. So the nickname came. Um, so when I first started training in Dayton, the two professionals that trained there and ran the gym was Jeremiah Gurley and Jesse Grunt. And uh, Jesse and me became really good friends, still are really good friends uh, and still talk quite often. But uh, Jesse, uh, so he's kind of like my mentor when I was training there because he's the guy who beat my ass. And uh, so like, I was like thinking of nicknames and I was like, well, I don't want nothing dumb that doesn't go with my name, like the assassin, Billy Swanson, like it doesn't really ring with my name. And I was like, I think I'm going to go with big Billy Swanson. Cause at the time I was like 320 pounds and like out of shape. Oh. So I was like, I, I think I'm gonna go with big Billy Swanson. Jesse's like, no nah, man, go with big sex. And so seriously, like he harassed me for it for like a whole week. He's like, <laughs> go with big sex, go with big sex. And I was like, dude, finally I snapped at him. I'm like, dude, there's nothing big sexy about me. I'm, I'm fat. I'm out of shape. He's like, fuck what people think. It's an attitude. He's like, have an attitude with it. He's like, it goes with you. And I'm like, all right. So I, I went with the nickname, man. And at first, dude, early on in my amateur career, you can go back and look at Facebook because people ridiculed me. They're like, look at this fat piece of shit that is so arrogant that thinks that he is big sexy they called me things like big down syndrome, big, like big ugly, like all sorts of like just hateful comments just to, just because they hated my nickname. And, uh, like, like I said, it's, it's ironic that, you know, it lasted, but like now, just like when I was in Sioux Falls fighting, that's, that's what people are chanting me and know me by. Like, like I'm walking out of the cage, people are like, big sexy, big sexy. So, you know, it's funny that like something that at first I received so much backlash for, you know, everybody embraces now. Yeah. I mean, as I'm saying, turn the tides, like Bruce Lee said, be comfortable at any position. So even with your nickname, you're proving that and that's, you know, kudos to you, man. Thank you. I'm not gonna lie. When I heard big sexy, the first thing I thought of was Rikishi from like WWE circa 2004. Oh yeah. Like uh, Kevin Ash. Yeah. Yeah. Sky is too hotty and all those guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, throwback. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder. But anyway, well, I mean, it, so here's here's my take on it, man. Okay, so so when you look at MMA, okay, it's until here recently, it yep. was dominated by more men. Okay, mm -hmm. so you had all these like testosterone filled nicknames. Okay, yep. well, let's get real. Like guys are gonna buy those shirts, but mm -hmm. women aren't gonna buy those shirts. Man, yeah. I sell more merchandise to women than I do men. Right on. <laughs> like, and, and that's that's the reality is like it, it's not. And then also people don't go with stuff that's catchy. Like I, I try and come up with stuff that's like marketable and you'll wear for your own reason. Like uh, a couple of years ago and I still got the hats. Uh, um, I made the slogan, make America sexy again. So like I made <laughs> some red, white and blue hats in both colors. And uh, I sold a bunch of those. Now the new slogan that I've been running around with is, do you want to hit this? So it's like a, it's an entendre. <laughs> You'll buy it for your own means. Double entendre. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's what people don't realize. Like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a redneck. I, I rock a mullet and, you know, I, I have a pretty 
pretty heavy southern draw. But when it comes to like the business side, man, I, I, I try and stay into it. Let's get real. At the end of the day, like, yeah, belts and shit are cool, but I, I want to get paid. Like, so mm-hmm. I'm trying to make as much money as I can before my body says, hey, Bill, can't do this no more. Right. And that's, you know, it's smart. Like, build your foundation now to kind of live for the future. And, you know, being signed with Bellator is a great way to kind of grow your brand, essentially, if you're not interested in actually winning the title. Be sure to join the Pro Sports Podcasters Facebook group, where you will be able to interact with the hosts and talk to other sports fans. Now back to the show. Walk us through how you got that call for Bellator. Were you at your gym? Were you at home? What were you doing when your phone rang? And was it Scott Croker who called? Uh, no. So I actually got matched through a buddy of mine. He knew a guy that was looking for a fight. And he's also a pro heavyweight, but he couldn't do it. And so he's like, well, I know a guy, and he called me. And so I, I got kind of matched through them just trying to fill the slot. But, I mean, man, my name's been in the Bellator heavyweights to watch list for a while. Uh, I was guaranteed a Jack Swagger fight for twice now, but one time for like damn near a year when COVID first shut everything down, and then Swagger declined me. So, like, the the real thing is, I've not had enough exposure like a Jack Swagger or one of these guys who are at one of these major camps because they have a John Jones in the gym or something like that. Yeah. And so, like, man, I go up to Knoxville all the time and train with Ovent St. Proof. So it's not like I'm not on that level. It's just, it's a reality of, like, one, guys have to accept fights. And that's the shitty thing about the business side of this is a fight can look great on paper. Like, when you honestly assess me as an opponent, I'm good on my feet and I'm good on the ground. Right. So it's like, you've really got to outclass me in one of those areas to fucking, to get the win. So a lot of guys see that, they see me as a high risk and they're like, well, I'm not going to fight that guy because he's not somebody who's had 20 fights in the UFC yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, I think in my personal opinion, I think I kind of shot myself in the foot by staying amateur as long as I did. I was 9-1 as an amateur. So I beat a bunch of people, a bunch of big names as an amateur. Then I go pro, and in my first couple pro fights, I beat a bunch of big names. Right. So it locally, no one wants to fight me unless you give them some damn UFC pay. So I'm having to, I'm either having to fight locally, I'm having to fight for $500 yeah. and fight, for a damn, fight a UFC caliber guy or – take a call on four days notice like I did with Marcelo Gome to get a call to where I actually make good money. Like, and, and that's not any bad words towards Bellator because everybody at Bellator treated me great. Like they, they're, hell, I hope they have me back. I don't know if they're going to have me back. I'm, I'm in the works of it with my manager talking to him. Like I said, like that's, that's the reality is like I took the fight on four days notice against the guy that had had, six different opponents pull on him in a six month span. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for four days notice, I think you did really well. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I mean, I did too. And like, you know, I'm not one that makes excuses because I'm not going to take anything away from Marcelo. He's a hell of a fighter. He's a very tough competitor. And he trains his ass off. But two weeks prior to my pro fight before I fought Marcelo, I won a pro title by submission in the first round. Okay, I jacked my shoulder up. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even buckle a seatbelt with my right arm. So I rested for two weeks before I had that pro fight. 
and then one by first round submission. And then two months I was resting and just coaching because I was like, well, shit, I don't need to rip my shoulder because yet again, man, I'm not getting paid millions of dollars yet <laughs> to fight. So like, it's like a surgery. I'm going to have to pay out of pocket pretty much. I was like, well, I don't need to rip my shoulder. So I rested for two months. And then ironically, I told my girlfriend, babe, you know, you never know when they're going to call me. I need to get back in shape. So I came into the gym that next morning and uh, there had been a leak in the gym. And so like half the gym was flooded. So I, I literally, I was drying the mat, spent like half the morning, like five hours dealing with that. So then I drove down to Taco Bell and I came back and was eating like $20 worth of Taco Bell and got the call like, hey, do you want to fight for Bellator this Friday? <laughs> so <laughs> checked my weight then and was like 20 pounds over, and I was like, well, shit, I'm, I got some weight to cut, but yeah, I'll take the fight. So I would say, if anything, that fight shows that I have balls. I mean, there's a lot of guys out here who, who want to paper their record and take these easy fights, and everything's got to be laid perfectly for them to show up and fight. There wasn't a single thing that was laid perfectly for me for that fight, but I still showed up, and I feel like I put on a good show. Had my cardio been there, because, like I said, I hadn't done shit in two months, pretty much. Had my cardio been there, man, I really think that's a three-round fight, or at least it's a fight that goes into the second round. Right on. And you were saying how you felt like maybe your window was closing because you had taken so many amateur fights to begin with. What's more important for you now to get back in the in the cage and, and work on your career or developing new talent in your gym? Uh, man, honestly, I'm a man that stays very busy. So I, I, I can't sit still. So I always have a lot of things in the works. Um, I will say that I'm still focused on myself okay i will still compete i plan to try and have a fight by the end of the year um and then at the first of the year my daughter is supposed to be born and then i have some other stuff that i'm planning or beginning in the year then i plan to probably pick up another fight around march to april may somewhere in there but as far as developing the talent in my gym man there's there's opportunities i got people that are fighting in a in a week and a half in chattanooga and we all just kind of work together in here. Like, uh, that's the atmosphere I've built is like, you know, like we're all grinding. Plus I'm here all day. So it, it's not hard for me to work out on my own and then also get drilling in when, when they come in in the evening. And then also I, I like one of the guys that fights in a week and a half, he's a collegiate all American wrestler that weighs 210 pounds. Yeah. So it, it's not like I'm just got people in here that I'm ragdolling all day long. Oh, nice, nice. And congratulations on the upcoming kid, buddy. Yeah. So for your gym and everything that's, that's involved with it, what is the layout like to somebody who maybe listened to this podcast and is within the area and is very curious to come visit your gym? I, I opened in January, first off. So I opened in the middle of the pandemic. So it was a little bit harder to get investors to get a huge facility like I wanted because essentially I wanted my own building to where I could host my own events down the road and everything inside my own venue. But uh, starting out and opening my own gym, I had to start out smaller than that. So my gym is 2,600 square foot. In here, I have a cage. We have ample amount of mat space for rolling. I've got 14 bags that are up 
for different kickboxing classes and Muay Thai classes like that. There's workout equipment in the back. Man, I'm open seven days a week. And one big thing that I didn't like about most martial arts gyms is, like I said before, is they can't really well round you. But as well as, like, most of your gyms, they're open for, like, an hour or two in the morning, and they're open for, like, two hours in the evening. So Monday through Friday, I'm open 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And then Saturdays, 10 to 4, is, and then Sunday, 1 to 4, is open. Perfect. And in your gym, do you have any up-and-comers? I, I know I've only been open 10 months, but in the time I've been open, I've got a kid that's trained with me and Joseph Long for a couple years now. He went down and competed at the IKF Muay Thai Worlds. He won a kickboxing world championship. Oh. Mm. He won that in July. I've got Bonnie Wagner. She fights in a week and a half. Chris Henderson, he's the collegiate All-American that I'm talking about, fights in a week and a half. And there's a lot more to add in, man. There's a kid named Austin Sparks who's going to be really good. Then, not to mention, uh, long-time training partner Joseph Long. He'll be looking to get back after it and pro debut before too long. I've, I've got some talent in the room, man, and uh, we're, we're continually adding in. But the main thing that I try and stress to people is, like, there's a lot of gyms that – you have to be a competitor. You have to be this or be this. It's real cliquish. I don't like that, man. All of us are in here working together. So whether you're just somebody coming in to lose weight, somebody coming in to learn self-defense, or if you're somebody who's trying to train and compete, you're going to feel welcome and not feel like you're inferior to anybody that's in the room. Damn. I like that. Sign me up. Although I live in Canada, so I don't feel like that would work. <laughs> <laughs> well, come visit. For sure going to come down. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the show. We really appreciate the support. If you love what you're hearing, please, we encourage you to leave a review over at podchaser.com and or if you listen on Apple, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling it, leave a five-star review. That really helps us out with what we're doing out here. Thank you. Yeah, have you cornered anyone in MMA at all, Billy, or no? Uh, yeah, man. Ironically, like, that's what's crazy about me owning my own gym now. And, you know, some people would think that I'm early in my coaching career, but I'm really not, man. From the time I was wrestling in middle school, I would always go and help out with, like, kids' club. And so then, like, when I got to high school, I would go and help out with the middle school. Then I got to college, and then I came back from college, and I literally, at one point, I was coaching – I was the head coach of the kids' club wrestling pro program at Saudi. I was the assistant coach at the middle school club, and I was the head coach of the freestyle and Greco program. And I was an assistant at the hospital. So, like, I <laughs> coached a lot. Then you fast forward to MMA, and I put all that behind me because I was training and didn't, I, I had to work and couldn't really afford to go coach as much as I was. And so I started focusing more on training and competing. And from the time I started training at MMA Institute, I helped corner and coach some of those guys. Like I, I've been in Jesse Grun's corner. I've been in any of those guys that uh, fought at MMA Institute's corner. I helped, I helped out with those guys. Past that, then I went to American Killer Bees of Cleveland. And uh, I was there with David Robbins. Uh, he was the head coach there. And I was like an assistant coach and Anybody that fought out of that gym, I was in that corner. Like I said, I've had a lot of coaching. And then right before that gym closed and I opened my own, I was even going down to Alabama at uh, a gym down there, and I was coaching down there. So I've, I've had a very good bit of coaching, actually. <laughs>
Okay. So you're comfortable in that situation. It's not like taking you out of your comfort zone. You're used to it. Uh, man, honestly, it, it's something that I feel like it's a natural talent I have. So um, I have a very good description on different things when I'm teaching and I can make people understand what I mean. A good analogy that I kind of use for people is when I'm teaching a technique, it's like I've got a beautiful painting over here in my mind, okay? And in your mind, it's jumbled up, looks like crackhead Bob Ross, <laughs> okay? And so I've got to be able to see what you're seeing and unjumble that and then turn it into what I see. It's something, like I said, I've just spent enough time coaching and, and watching and focusing on myself as well because I've had to coach myself on certain things. And then I stay a student to the sport. That's, that's the big thing that I preach is the moment you feel like you know everything is the moment you know nothing. And so you have to always stay studying because mixed martial arts, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, it's all ever-evolving. And stuff comes in and out of trends. Prime example, the calf kick right now is on, on high end and is destroying people. Yeah. Well, that's all because the calf kick has been around for thousands of years, but people got really good at defending it. And so then people quit throwing it because you see what's happening. People are starting to break their legs. So mm -hmm. then people forgot about the damn calf kick being as devastating as it is, and they quit defending it because people weren't throwing it anymore, and then it opened it back up. So, like, stuff is ever-evolving, and my, like, like I said, these people who try and have this philosophy of there's only one way, my way knows best, that's ignorant shit, man. There's so many different ways you can throw something. There's so many different ways that one person can move, right? Like, it changes person to person, like, what they can do. Like, if a person is taller, you know, they're going to have to be more of an outside fighter. If the person is shorter, they're they're not going to have the reach. They're going to have to get on the inside. Like a lot of people don't know this, but when I was in college, I was a physics major, and so the way my brain works, I like to study and understand how shit works, and I, I don't like to talk about it if I don't understand it. And so um, when it comes to fighting, it's just something that's always fascinated me. One because it'll save my ass if somebody tries to kill me. Like you come up and try and put your hands on me, I know a million different ways to break your limbs and walk away yeah mm -hmm. it literally like it, it's just something that's always fascinated me so like i said I, i'm always studying boxing i'm always studying kickboxing just the other day i sat there and watched two hours of john dana here and uh still got a lot more to study on his leg lock games and his triangle systems and yeah ridiculous and that's the thing is people don't understand that you can have rocky balboa teaching you boxing but if you don't master the art of boxing. It's just another motherfucker screaming at you. And so <laughs> you have to understand what you do. 100%, buddy. Now, I like the way you put that. Basically, what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for another. And the combinations are always changing. So you've got to be constantly evolving, which is what I love about MMA. The reason MMA is really so awing and people love it so much is if you really get to the primal instincts it's like the gladiator games people want to see blood and guts they want to see people getting the shit beat out of them and it, you had too many people take and not to say anything bad about floyd bayweather because i mean i'm sure he'd sit here and 
dodged the shit out of my, my punches. Okay. But people took the Floyd Mayweather approach and they started running and, and winning and pointing these fights out. And people don't like that shit. The true fans don't give a shit whether you win or lose. I had people in Sioux Falls chanting my name and I had just got knocked out. Yeah. Mm. They don't care if you win or lose. It's a matter of what you display while you're out there. Like I said, the whole reason they love MMA, man, is because you can get finished with so many things. And like I said, man, if you really look at self-defense, boxing is like you stand as flat, like flat and bladed. I kick you in the leg one damn time, I'm blowing your knee out. Past that, I get past your jab and slip your jab. Your legs are wide open and I'm going to put you on the back of your head. Yeah. So, like, like it, boxing is just a sport. MMA is the closest you can get to physically killing a man and then stopping and everybody cheering. That's what's crazy. That's the closest you can get to killing a man and then, and everybody loving it. But that's what they want to see is they want to see the violence. That's, that's the whole reason they're there. It's also the reason why you see somebody like Conor McGregor sell as much as he sells compared to somebody like Tyrone Woodley. Yeah. Like, Tyrone Woodley is a great fucking fighter. But Conor McGregor sells because one of two reasons. You either buy the ticket because you want to see him get his loud mouth shut, or you buy the ticket because you're like, fuck yeah, I believe what Conor McGregor's saying. And he had a very rare trait that a lot of people cannot do. He was able to tell you what he was going to put you down with. Yeah. The only other person I've ever really seen like that was fucking Muhammad Ali. Like, and, mm-hmm. and that's what people love about it is like, now you're not just a loudmouth who's talking and got his ass beat. You're a loudmouth who called what he was going to do. So it builds more of a buzz behind you. At the end of the day, people want violence. So like, yes, you have all these people out here who are, who are like, hey, these fighters should be respectful. They shouldn't cuss. They shouldn't tell people they're going to try and kill them. But when they get locked in the cage, that's what you want to see. Now, you brought up Danaher, so I got I to gotta ask. There's been a lot of talk, including Joe Rogan, he talked about it himself, about maybe taking leg locks out of the game because of how dangerous they can be. What do you think about that? I think that is ignorant. I think that that takes it back and that puts it back to a point where it becomes more like boxing. It becomes more of a sport and not a actual fighting competition. So so what you've got to understand is the more rules that you put into a fight, the more you make it structured. So the more you make it planned, in a way, and the more it takes away from the natural fight. Now, don't get me wrong, leg locks are dangerous. But at the same time, if you don't want your shit broke, maybe you should start study leg locks and get good at leg locks so you know how the fuck to get out of them. That's true. Like I said, it's not it's not a kickboxing match. It's not a wrestling match. So why the fuck are you going to take leg locks out of? And when you understand jujitsu in the essence that Danaher preaches, okay, and the constant kazushi, okay, so the constant off balance from head to toe. And when when I start attacking just your upper body, okay, it's easy for you to lock down and just defend your upper body. But then when you defend all your upper body, it exposes your legs. Well, when you defend your legs, you just open up your upper body. So it, it creates a dilemma to where you have to choose. Yeah. It's a chess match. Like, if you don't want your shit broke, tap. 
that's the real problem. Instead of taking leg locks out of the game, maybe you should tell these egotistical assholes who, when they get caught, go, all right, I'm caught. Be, be a better sportsman. Because then that, that, let, let's get real. You know that your, your leg's about to get broke. Okay, hold on, so, hold, so hold on, though. Hold on, hold on. You, you've got guys like Husamar Palheras that sometimes seems to ignore taps. Okay, all right. Well, in that case, okay, if it happens once, you find his ass. If it happens twice, you suspend his ass. If it happens a third time, he's never allowed to fight again. That shouldn't be on a technique. That should be on an individual. True, I I agree with you wholly. I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate here right, because. Right. But, that's, that, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like when you take out leg locks, yes, leg locks are intricate and they're dangerous. But at the same time, like if you take the time to study leg locks, you can understand a lot of different sweeps. Leg locks open up different passes, and they, they open up a lot of different submissions past just your legs. And so, like like I said, like that's that's the reality of it. You take that out, like that 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 limits somebody on a jujitsu basis that comes from a jujitsu background that would be going against somebody who was a wrestler who learned how to box that wrestler is going to be able to hug the fuck out of their hips but that wrestler don't know jack shit about leg locks yeah that gives that that jujitsu guy an element in the fight where he is studied that he could beat that that fighter and that at the end of the day that is really why mma got created it wasn't to see who was all cool and flashy. It was really to see who, which fighting element was the best fighting element. Correct. And so then you've had them modify the rules here and there and here and there and here and there along the way. And sometimes they say, oh, it's for the better, but sometimes it's for ignorance. Shit. Prime example, if I can take my hands, why can't I take my ankles? That's a rule. I don't understand that. Yeah, that's kind of odd, actually. Okay, like, and so, like, then, then past that, like, the downed opponent. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard that rule changed in the time I've been fighting. Did you, uh, did you watch Pride? Yeah, I watched Pride. And so, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I can't tell you the number of times just in the seven years I've fought, how many times I've been at rules meetings and they've modified that rule. It's been at least five to ten times I've heard it change. That's crazy. Okay, and I like that's that's the thing, and so and then it makes it harder also when you have people who don't understand the language, or if you don't have a translator to explain these different rule changes. Okay, so if you take somebody who's fighting overseas, like they do some crazy shit overseas, bro. Like overseas, they literally, I know a guy who just fought in a street fight that was on concrete. Caged in, they're wearing tennis shoes, and it's an MMA fight. They're allowed to kick in the face on the ground and everything. Where no was this? Wait, hold on. Where was this? It's in like fucking Sweden. <laughs> some like he's in England, but it's somewhere over there, like Poland or some shit like that. Like, but that's what I'm saying. Like, people don't realize. Then you take somebody who's been fighting in something like that, and you bring them over here to America, and you try and put them in a cage, and then you try. And tell them all these rules and ha let's get real man half these fighters don't listen to the rules really in the damn rules meeting they're thinking about the guy's ass that they're about to beat in t-minus four hours or less time so like th that's the reality is like i think like like i said if you really look at it you can't limit it, it uh, you can limit some rules all right like no eye gouge no no crop shots no 
fish hooks, shit like that. Okay, that that makes it stay decent, so you're not just being like a dirty bastard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you know, like, like I said, like when you take leg locks out, that is a whole. It, it, I don't know if you train jujitsu, man, but if you do and you don't know anything about leg locks, buy Danaher's video about leg locks and just watch. Your mind will be fucking blown when you see all the offense and the strategy that it develops in your game. And that's the reality is like it teaches you that you don't have to stand up and out-muscle somebody to get on top of them. You can start out sitting on your ass or laying on your back and wind up finding their leg because they present it to you trying to pass your guard and they submit themselves. I think, one, the people who aren't tapping, that's on you. Like, if you're not tapping, you you know your own risk. Like, like I said, like, that'd be like me being a, in a fucking arm bar and my elbow's about to explode and me going, oh, no, I'm a chance it. Yeah, that goes for any submission. If you don't tap, that one's entirely on you. So that'd be like saying we're taking the rear naked chokehold out because nobody's tapping to it and they're all going to sleep. <laughs> like, <laughs> on that side, I don't think it should be taken out. On the people who were holding on too long, that's unsportsmanlike conduct. That's malicious mm-hmm. conduct. Yeah. If the fight stopped, you should stop. So as soon as the ref steps in, if the, tell, if, if the dude's still holding on, and you keep allowing it, like, like, especially, like I said, if it's somebody that is a repeat offender for doing it, that's on the organization to take it up with that individual. He should be fined, then his ass should be suspended for X amount of time, and then if he comes back and does it again, his ass should just be cut. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's not. That's not the way they look at it. They, they go, oh, well, it's, it's the leg wall. No, it's that dude being a piece of shit. And knowing that the dude's already tapped and still trying to break his shit. Mm-hmm. And some people are like that, man. That's what people don't understand. I see, I see it all the time, you know, and uh, I, I saw Dana White, you know, said it probably about a week or two ago where uh, he, he was quoted and they were like, oh, did you know about Connor on the red carpet or some shit? And he's like, you know, this, the only reason you guys know about this is because he's in the damn, in the lot. He's like, y'all don't realize all the other shit I have to deal with on a daily basis. He's like, all these people who fight have screws loose in their head and are crazy individuals, and you never know what the fuck they're going to do. I know that to be a fact, man. I'm pretty crazy myself. But, like, past that, I've seen some cuckoo motherfuckers at these shows, and they're, like, one negative comment away from flipping shit and killing, like, ten people. Like, and people don't understand that. Like, some of these, some of these people who fight are really demented and they don't do it for fame. They don't do it for money. They do it to hurt a motherfucker. Yes. And that's the thing. It comes down to individuality in the sport because it is, it's not a team sport, right? It's just one on one, mono a mono, or the Latin word for female against female. Uh, so, anyways, uh, Billy, you were an amazing interview. Uh, Billy, before we get you out, how can our fans find you on all social medias? Um, so you can look up Big Sexy Billy Swanson. Um, I have a Facebook. I have Instagram. I have a Twitter. Also, if you're local or in the area visiting Chattanooga, my gym is Chattanooga Mixed Martial Arts College. Like I said, I'm open seven days a week. But like, like I said, 
I'm pretty active on any of my social medias, and like I've I've had a lot of fans reach out and I message them back. So I'm not one of those guys who's an asshole if you send me a message that I'm not going to message you back. What I do request though is don't send me creepy shit. So I have had to block <laughs> a few people because like like two or three years ago I had this one stalker man that was just sending me some weird shit voice messages. It would be like static in the background for like ten seconds, and then like. <laughs> Her voice would come into the ground. She'd like, Talk to me. Oh man, it, it was creepy shit. I, I blocked her in a hurry. So, like, like I said, I, as long as you you're respectful, I, I'll message you back. Perfect. I just gave you a follow on Twitter, Big Sexy. All right, sounds good, brother. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to seeing you fight in Bellator again too. I hope they give you another fight. I'm eager to see what you can do with a full camp, buddy. If you sign on for a fight. Let us know. Alright, I, I for sure will, bro. Appreciate it, Thanks, man. man. It was great talking to you. That's Billy, Big Sexy Swanson. Be sure to give him a follow because obviously he's got a pretty interesting story. Great talking to you, Billy. Hey, right, thanks, brother.